What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. Uh, it's the mailbag edition. We normally do this on Wednesdays. Uh, and we're, we're going to do it again today, too, as well, for sure. Uh, but this is also... Uh, kind of a different day for all of us. It's been a really long, frankly, devastating day for all of us, for everyone in the Chiefs community. Uh, friend of the show, friend to everyone in Chiefs Kingdom, Therese Paler. I, if you ask me, I think the most important voice in in our community uh, died at the age of thirty-seven. Way too, way too soon. This is <laughs> this is hard, man. I honestly, I, 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 true icon in this Chiefs community is gone. Way too soon. There's a lot to talk about with that, and we'll we'll talk here a little bit about it uh, before we continue our show. Uh, my 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 pals are here, and I'm very glad they are. Uh, find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matt, tough day. Real tough day for for all of us here uh, at the AP Lab. We don't put very many people on this show. I mean, we just we haven't had a bunch of you know guests, but Therese Paler was the top of our list of guys we wanted to talk to. I think if you just go on to Twitter or any social media app right now, you can see that Therese was a top of anybody's list of guys to talk to, no matter what team you covered, no matter what you were doing. I think anybody who's ever had the pleasure of interacting with them just knows how genuine and nice of a person is that will shoot you straight, but he is always willing to help. He's always there to be for everybody. He always was. I mean, this is a tough time that you can see how it's just impacting everybody across Chiefs Kingdom, across the entire NFL right now. It's definitely a hard one. It's going to affect Chiefs fans and people with close to the team or media as much as anybody else outside of his family. And you can just feel their loss when you just read how people talk about it or anybody that you've gotten to talk to that knows him. This this is one that we're all going to feel all offseason. I mean, for even longer than that. We're going to know about this all year. So here's the TP. Hopefully he's doing well, looking down on everybody, getting to enjoy everything from wherever he is. Yeah, we were, uh, we were very, very lucky that we got to know Therese. A little bit all of us I mean I think that's part of it you felt like you knew Therese by reading his writing by listening to him and as people that were very fortunate to get to hang out with him a little bit off the field that's who he was like he was genuine he was real and he cared about the community so so much I will never forget one of the very first interactions I had with him was in 2014 where he just reached out to me out of the blue to let me know that the work that I was doing was good and that he appreciated the effort that we were putting in. 
And that just, you know me, anybody who's listened to this podcast for very long knows that I hate praise, I hate attention, I hate all of that. It was different, though. Like, it, you felt different when Therese told you that you did good work. I remember mm-hmm. we released the AP Draft Guide, and we were sitting around and, you know, talking with him about it, and just to hear him gushing about, you know, the things and the elements that it just makes you feel like you're on top of the world because he meant so much to so many people and he did such a good job of being there for young journalists. I mean, I say young. He was literally the same age as me. That's what makes this even more tragic. It, it really is. We make jokes about how old I am. I was literally, Therese and I are the same age. It's, it's just, he did such a good job of taking care of people and making sure they were recognized. I just, uh, yeah, just tragic tragic that was that was one of the things that really impacted me is i mean 2018 i i go to the combine on my own dime i <laughs> bj takes me up bj kizzle he takes me out and kind of just shows me the ropes introduces me some people he brings therese over late at night we're at the marriott the the bar where everything happens you know the marriott bar where everything happens and he brings therese over at like i don't know 11 30 first time i've met i'm nervous i'm geeked out to meet him i've been doing i've been writing for arid pride for six months and this is all surreal to me and he just he tells me i I, he tells tells me i'm doing great work i was like you don't even know you know who i am it's and it's not a line because he'll sit there and he'll talk to you about elements that he's read in your work like he's not just saying it he literally means it he does and I, i mean he's he's been such a supporter of me, of everyone. I mean, if the thing about Trez, he's he said the first time I met him, he said, if you put in the work, and I can see that you're putting in the work, I have respect for you. And that that honestly, I there, I will get compliments on the stuff that we do. When Therese gave me a compliment, I honestly think that's the most impactful comment I've compliment I've received from anyone and it's not just saying that because because he's gone it's because of how respected he was within this community i mean his weight his 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 word was worth its weight in gold his word was gold mm-hmm. you, we can look through our dms <laughs> did therese report it yet is <laughs> does therese have it yet because if it's if Therese has it, I'll believe it. Did you hear what Therese said? Ooh, let's read into that because Therese Seriously. knows and Therese is careful about what he he was just he was at the top of all that, man. He has such he had such a high value on integrity and his integrity. And so you knew if he was putting his name on that, it meant something. And it was a joy to be around him. Most of most of the time most of my interactions with him were things like the combine or the senior bowl. Like we'd go out and he, we'd run into Therese one night. I mean, and it, they were great nights. They were just, I mean, just a joyful football guy, genuine football guy, impassioned football guy. And, and a uh, great person and, and a, a phenomenal great, great person, phenomenal, helpful, encouraging person. I don't know how much he – he will never realize how impactful his words were or and how impactful his words are on 
a generation of people in Kansas City that want to do what he does mm-hmm. and want to be a part of this of this conversation here in Kansas City. Um, I Therese respects people that put in the work. We're going to put in the work today. We're going to do our show. Uh, we're going to answer some of your questions, probably maybe less than we normally do. But, uh, you know, love on someone. Tell somebody you love them today. Life's short. You never know when your time comes. And if this isn't a reminder, man, I don't know what is. Uh, Craig, I know you did have something you wanted to, you want to say a little something about Marty. Cause <laughs> I mean, in, yeah. Oh, Hey, yeah. We, Marty, Marty Schottenheimer's passed away as well. Um, another important figure in a generation of Chiefs fans too. Yeah. Obviously not the same like impact <laughs> as, as Therese may have been to everybody, but Marty taught a generation how to love the chiefs uh the chiefs were really bad after hank stram left after they won that super bowl they were really bad for a long time marty came in made a bunch of playoffs made this team fun to root for again made them good and taught us how to hate the raiders like i mean (laughs) (laughs) this man was just he was a godsend for this franchise at a time where they needed it. Like they were in decline. Things were not going well. Marty came along and turned this franchise around. Now it didn't result in playoff success. And that was ultimately the thing that kind of got him out of town. It's kind of the story of his career, but a great dude who the players loved and appreciated. We talk about how players love playing for Andy Reid. Players love playing for Marty Schottenheimer as well. I He was just kind of a beacon in the middle of the darkness there that helped turn this franchise around, helped the Hunts to really kind of build this into something where they get a guy like Andy Reid, invest all this stuff in this coaching staff. Like Marty was the turnaround point for a lot of it and a lot of the modern day stuff. And I know there's a bunch of people that are my age that grew up watching those Marty Schottenheimer teams at a pinnacle of their Chiefs fanhood, and he was kind of the guy. So he'd been sick for a long time, and, you know, Alzheimer's is rough. It's a really, really rough disease. I'm glad that that family is not having to deal with that and suffer any longer, but just just a rough week, and uh, prayers, thoughts go out to Marty and his family. Yeah, it, I had a I had a couple coaches that, that in college – played for for Marty. They loved him. They uh they really loved him. The Raider the Raider stuff was real. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um we're going to try to do a regular show now. I know there's really no easy way to transition through this. Um and we're not going to answer all the questions we normally do. Our apologies for that. I hope you understand that and can forgive us for things being a little bit different today but uh we're gonna we're gonna try to we're gonna try to make things as normal as we possibly can from here here on out uh twitter questions jp phillips 14 how concerned should we be about a post super bowl hangover affecting this team next season i don't know that i'm worried about a super bowl hangover necessarily i think 
I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be ultra motivated. I think they're going to try and surround him with a significantly better offensive line and maybe a wide receiver too that can be on the field more regularly than Sammy Watkins was able to. I think that you're going to see a bunch of teams try and blueprint what the Buccaneers did. And that's going to be difficult because the situation is going to be much different for the Chiefs on offense. I don't really worry about a hangover from that standpoint. I worry about all the holes that they may need to fill. But I don't think that you're going to see the team necessarily take a step back in effort level. I don't think you're going to see this team take a step back in motivation. They are going to want it more. They're going to want to come out there and really win this thing again. So I I think from a mentality standpoint, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I would almost argue that it's probably a good thing for the Chiefs in the long run that something like this happened happened when it did. It's going to refocus them, I do think, a little bit. There was clearly a lot of stuff going on with the Chiefs leading up to the Super Bowl and many reasons, whether it's the injuries, the offensive line, whether it had been overconfidence, whatever it may have been, they didn't come out and look super well prepared, whether it's from the from the players and their execution, from the coaching game plan. I mean, when was the last time that you saw not only the Chiefs get outcoached in every facet of the game, but also the execution be as off as it was where guys weren't on the same page? So they just weren't ready for that game. And for whatever reason it may be, I don't think they go in the next season with that same issue looming, especially during the regular season. We all saw this year, they were on cruise control for the entire regular season. They made the Super Bowl by essentially not caring, supposedly until the Super Bowl got there, and it looks like it finally caught up to them in that game. I do think they come back a lot more focused next year. The majority of the team should still be here, but I do think they go out and make some moves to make themselves a better team as well. It's like I would be more surprised if they missed the playoffs or didn't win the AFC West than I would if they went back to the Super Bowl next year. Uh, I think there's a couple of things here. Uh, the attrition that this team has experienced losing Eric Fisher is going to be big. Six extra games the last two years on their bodies for injuries to occur. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to spend significant time this offseason not working with new pass catchers, hopefully new pass catchers. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I... I'm not saying that I'm betting against this team. I'm just saying, boy, doing what they're doing and getting to the places that they're getting every year, year in and year out is taxing on on you. And, I mean, I think you saw it this year, losing Eric Fisher late to an Achilles injury that's going to hold him back. I mean, there's – I don't know if it's a hangover in the same sense that we're thinking here from an emotional standpoint, but, like, I mean, Toll's – Season's taking a toll on these guys. Matt Crocker, 89. What do you feel the root cause of reluctance to change the offensive game plan was? We've seen the struggles against cover two this year and last year. Why did players and coaches recognize and not adjust? Personnel problems? Preparation? Does the answer drive off-season plans? Ooh, I like that little last one. I don't think cover two is usually the defense that gives the Chiefs the most issues. It's been the Chargers variation of cover three that the Chargers run that the 49ers did in the Super Bowl. And I mean, it's still the same general concept and you're trying to keep everything in front of you and force everything underneath. But playing two-man coverage, the man coverage with two deep safeties essentially, hasn't been something that a lot of teams have tried against the Chiefs. You usually get a lot more zoned. Teams are afraid to run man coverage trying to cover Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill 
and Sammy Watkins. Yes, last year a little bit when Hill was hurt, Watkins was hurt as well. Teams tried more man coverage, but when they're healthy, that's not really a thing. That said, the Chiefs should have known this was coming going into this game. This is what the Buccaneers had played in the playoffs up until this point. I have no clue why they were not ready for the Buccaneers to come out and play variations of two deep man coverage. And the biggest issue was the Chiefs' entire quick game. The way you beat man coverage, the way you would beat, you know, two man coverage through the quick game. The Chiefs' quick game was all RPO based. You can't run RPOs when the read player is going to end up being the safety. The Buccaneers were playing coverage on all the receivers when you're trying to throw just quick hitches, quick slants, and you're Patrick Mahomes is reading the safety who's not even attempting to fit the run. So the Chiefs quick game played right into the Buccaneers hands it was a very disadvantageous position for the Chiefs they did not adjust until middle of the third quarter when it was just oh we need to score a billion points to get back in this game I don't know what the concept was and as far as driving the offseason plans I don't think you can go through the entire offseason trying to beat a specific defense or a specific team I think you only do that when you are playing pure catch-up like in within your own division I think the bigger issue is just fixing the lack of offensive line depth, the lack of wide receiver depth, and nothing to do with the actual specific Super Bowl. Yeah, I I think that what you saw was Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy, the people in charge of the game plan, basically saying, we're going to go out and we're going to do our thing because we know it can beat anybody. Because frankly, to this point, it has. Like they They haven't had to make some major adjustments. They've been able to go out and attack the way that they've wanted to. And when they've made their slight adjustments, not major ones, but when they've made slight adjustments, it's worked. And this team has been able to move the ball well. Now, they did not execute well. I think it, people were highlighting the RPO on the second play of the game that everything was just wrong on it like nobody was on the same page we don't typically see that now granted it's brand new offensive line and everything like that but we don't see this level of execution this level of poor execution very often so it was kind of a thing where maybe Andy Reid thought okay all we got to do is just put it together like the things are there we just got we all have to get on the same page and then maybe all of a sudden we'll be able to make something happen here it obviously never came to fruition and I think some of that hard-headedness may go away just because you know they know that they can get beat for an entire game that way now in the biggest stage you may see a little bit different approach I think they just need to make sure they maintain some talent there too on that side of the football they need to continue to stock the shells there kind of speaking to that last piece of it, they really need a consistent wide receiver too. I don't think Sammy Watkins is back. McCole Hardman is not it. They really, they honestly need probably a, a wide receiver two and a wide receiver three. Cause I don't really know if you can really rely on what McCole has shown to this point to be a consistent enough player as that wide receiver three. They really can't get him involved unless it's the manufactured touches. So, um, and we've talked about that a little bit, but, I think you need to I think you really need to continue to insulate Mahomes with talent and that will help solve some of these problems. Not all of them though, for sure. Captain Denny, fifty three. How many of the offensive line that dressed for Super Bowl fifty five make the fifty three man roster next year? What a question. Wow. Woof. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are out of contract. Um man. 
I think Yasir Durant will stick around. I think this this team likes him enough. I think that Martinez Rankin is going to stick around as well. After that, a lot of the guys that are left have expiring contracts or, you know, are going to be replaced by players that are coming back due to opt-outs and things like that. Andrew Wiley's out of contract. Uh, Austin Ryder's out of contract. I think Steven Wisniewski is out of contract as well here. So I, I, I don't think that it's going to be a ton of those guys that dressed, and I'm not sure that major contributors will. I think Austin Ryder's probably your best chance at one of the major contributors to that offensive line returning to 2021's, 2021's active roster. Uh, A. Harney, 1020. Andy Reid mentioned in his final press conference that the solutions to our offensive line issues are in-house with the opt-outs and injured players. Do you think that was just coach talk, or is it a real possibility? Man, I... Look, I don't think that the Chiefs are going to make sweeping changes to their offensive line just across the board. They're not getting five new offensive linemen. I do think that there are some intriguing players that are part of this football team that are worth uh, you know, worth exploring and, and worth worth giving some opportunities. Think I mean, like Martinez Rankin. I want to see what happens after a full year. I'm not overly optimistic, but like there's there's guys that you can give a look here. To kind of see, so throughout this this throughout the um, throughout the off season, I think you're going to see guys get some looks. I 100 think it's 100 think it's it's coach speak. I think that they're going to still add some talent. Like I do anticipate at least one top 100 pick going uh, towards an offensive lineman, and I bet you they double dip. I bet you there is another offensive lineman on day two added, uh, and I could see another free agent addition as well. I think the group will be a lot better, though. And even if it is, I think there's enough intriguing talent inside that they'll find some talent, talented guys that can actually really improve what you saw last week. I just want to say that I forgot about Nick Allegretti. Nick Allegretti's sticking around. He's good depth. They'll keep him. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point. <laughs> Don Beal, 32. I know hindsight is 20-20. But was there any offensive lineman that played well this year that the Chiefs could have got at 32 or 63, Matthew? We've gone down this road, I think, of the podcast a little bit before. But I mean, we can do it again real quick because after the Super Bowl, I mean, why would you not think there was a way to be better here? So when you're looking at 32 where the Chiefs took Clyde edwards Lair, there's not really many offensive linemen that went in the second round that were played well or even got that much of a chance to play in the NFL. I mean, you could look right away and you could say maybe Robert Hunt was a guy that that played for the Dolphins down the stretch. He was okay. He wasn't particularly good. He wasn't bad. He showed enough that, you know, you would be happy if the Chiefs had him right now. But I don't know if you're getting a significant improvement over what Andrew Wiley or what Coleccio Simile gave you when he was healthy this year at offensive guard, which is where the Chiefs probably would have started him throughout the year. And same thing, even if you moved him out to tackle, I don't know if he would have been an improvement over Mike Rimmers throughout most of the year. He would just be a nice piece to have around. Where you do have some time, though, and this is where the hindsight game gets really scary. If instead of taking Willie Gay at pick 63 and you took a Damian Lewis, a guard, that went to the Seattle Seahawks in the third round, or you take Jonah Jackson, a guard out of Ohio State that went to the Detroit Lions in the third round, I think both of those guys would have been starting real early on for the Chiefs you would have a future guard spot locked up. 
and going into this next draft, linebacker would still be an issue because it's not that Willie Gay didn't show you that much in his first year. You'd be looking at a better linebacker class that you haven't spent an early round pick on right now. I mean, I think Willie Gay would struggle to crack the top 10 of this upcoming linebacker class if you're ranking prospects. So if you're working in hindsight, yeah, it would have been a lot better to take a guard last year and a linebacker this year going forward, but that's not the case. So it is what it is. We are now looking for offensive linemen while we have a linebacker. Well, and guys, like will the, like Lucas Niang. I mean, we think about like Luke. The Chiefs had a plan in the top. They drafted an offensive lineman in the top 100. They expect him to be part of this football team this year. He opted out due to COVID. Uh, and I just realized Don Beal put 32 and 63. That just really made me sad because we've been expecting. Everyone in Kansas City has been talking about pick 32. And it's and it's thirty one and sixty three guys, that made me sad again. Just reminding myself, thirty one is the worst spot in the NFL draft in the history of the NFL draft because you have to sit there and you have to accept the fact that you came one game, one win away from a Super Bowl, and you can let and thirty other teams get to help their football team before you do. It is the worst spot. You're just sitting there miserably. Because you got all the way to the Super Bowl and just fell all the way short. I think it, I think it's awful. I think eight is the worst spot because you're usually missing out on blue chip talents and your team still sucks. So I'm going to go with pick eight as being <laughs> the worst so, pick in the draft. Sorry, when I say worst, I mean the most painful. I think that's the most painful. Being on the doorstep and having your team lose the Super Bowl, I, I, think, it's, I think it's pain. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Continuing to answer your questions here on Twitter, Graham Ballard, what do you think of the following take? The linebacker position is the biggest need on the defense during the Super Bowl and the area that could most improve the defense. This was a take from Benjamin Solak. Uh, from the Lockdown NFL Draft Network, or Lockdown NFL Draft does great work at the Draft Network. Big fan of Ben's. I honestly, genuinely think Ben is one of the most talented young writers out there. So to quickly run down the take, because Graham was polite enough to give me a timestamp so I could go find this really quickly and not have to listen to the entire post-game celebration from Ben and his co-host Trevor Sikama, who is a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So thank you for letting me skip past that with the timestamp. The take generally was the Chiefs linebackers couldn't fit the run versus duo. Nobody on the team could stop the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from running the football because they were just challenging the linebackers to 
play two gaps as the defensive line was getting double teamed. Nobody could do it. The only person that showed somewhat of the ability is Anthony Hitchens, who still wasn't great, and he's locked in here for two years. Next to him, the Chiefs have essentially nobody, and adding a linebacker in the draft would go the farthest in terms of improving them as a defense. So on one hand, I agree. I do think the Chiefs linebacker position in this particular game was probably the biggest weakness because the Buccaneers challenged that group. They challenged Ben Neiman, Damian Wilson, Dan Sorensen when he was kind of playing as that box safety to fit a duo run, which is essentially asking the linebacker to play two gaps. It's up to the running back to make the linebacker pick a gap, and then he goes through the other one, and the linebacker has to be able to cover both. Nobody for the Chiefs can do that. It was a problem. And when the Buccaneers went play action, it was even worse. So I do agree that that was a huge problem in the Super Bowl. The issue is the Chiefs just drafted a linebacker in the second round. They just spent a top 64 pick on a linebacker. I don't think a linebacker is that valuable of a position that you can do that in back-to-back years. Doing that essentially says you give up on Willie Gay ever becoming a person. You don't need three linebackers on your team that are competent enough to start. So you'd have Anthony Hitchens, Willie Gay, and another player. I just feel like that's wasting draft capital for a team that has a fair amount of holes that need to be filled right now. Yes, fully agree with that. Uh, I think Hitchens and Gay are locked in as your linebacker positions. I know that it's easy to look at that game and say, boy, look what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did with awesome linebacker play. And frankly, it was mainly Levante David, although Devin White is a super athlete that, you know, we can get into that on another time. Don't get me started. I'm not. Oh, I don't know. I think we have to go down the Devin White (sighs) hole now. Devin, just, I'll just get this line off. Devin White isn't the best linebacker on his team, let alone the National Football League. The narrative about Devin White because he chased down an option to the boundary with a gimpy quarterback that wasn't even trying to challenge to threaten the line of scrimmage because he's on turf toe is just astounding. Levante Davis was locking up Travis Kelsey on some of those plays too. What was the mm-hmm. vibe? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. okay. I got to get off my one stop. line now. No, no, I got to get off my one line. How are you out here calling somebody the best linebacker in the league when his own team decides to hide him from covering literally anybody on the field. All they want him to do is run. That is his entire assignment on any given play is just to run. And he's great at it. He ran a 4-4-5 or whatever it was. He's fantastic as an athlete. He's getting better as a linebacker, but the Buccaneers literally hide him in the defensive scheme He is not even close to the best linebacker on his own team, let alone his own conference, let alone the NFL. Let it go. He was fun. He flexed on Darrell Williams after Darrell Williams tripped, and then he finished off the tackle. Makes a cool picture. It doesn't make him the best linebacker in the NFL. So... Naturally, you're just going to hear a lot about linebackers in the draft because everybody wants to talk about linebackers in the draft. Now, fully agree with Maddie on the Willie Gay situation. Willie is the guy that you want to bank on because same reason that the Bucks are banking on Devin White. If he figures out you've got this ultra-athletic dude that you've got in there that can do a little bit of everything. Now, the Chiefs don't have Levante David, but they do have Anthony Hitchens under contract for two years. Here's the thing. On defense, getting a cornerback that can play on the boundary 
I know that they just limited a couple of those guys to not very many yards, those wide receivers, but they gave up a lot of yardage and penalties because they were having to grab, and it changes the way that they have to play their safeties. If all of a sudden you can play Juan Thornhill single high because you trust your cornerbacks to play on the outside, guess what? You can give more help to those linebackers underneath. You're not matched up with them all the time. You you get more of your coverage players in the middle of the field. There are ways to get around it without having to invest a ton in a position like linebacker that, frankly, teams try to hide, try to take out of the coverage scheme as much as possible on defense. Even good ones, they try and take them out of there because you want guys on the outside that can cover and man up. It just allows you to do a little bit more. So... I don't agree with the statement that a linebacker is the turning point for this defense. I do get some of the logic. Uh, and I will say this. That doesn't mean we that you shouldn't invest anything at all in making that linebacking group Agreed. better. And I don't think anybody is saying that. I think it's just the valuation that you put in the prioritization. I would try to find someone on day three. Uh, to to find you know to to add to that linebacking core and they've got some free agents anyway so they're gonna have to make a move they have to make a decision and guys like Dane Sorensen, D- Damian Wilson both of them I do not believe are under contract for next season. I just want to jump back in real quick and I am crediting our pal Jake Jacob Morley for this one. A stud linebacker makes a difference. If you can draft a Fred Warner, if you can draft a Levante David, that does make a huge difference for your entire defense. The problem is about 800 linebackers get drafted before you get that stud linebacker. Getting an average starting caliber linebacker does so minimal in terms of improving the team compared to other positions. It's just not worth the or the risk to do it two years in a row taking one that early unless you're guaranteeing a blue chip caliber player if micah parsons is there mm-hmm. and you believe in his ability to be a good person and a, for the team have at it you have a chance to get the stud but if you're not getting a chance at a stud linebacker it's just not worth it after you just did it last year and i will add to that because we were we are going to get a lot of nick bolton questions i've gotten a lot of nick bolton questions I have a pin about Nick Bolton pinned to my Twitter profile. If the Chiefs are going to grab a linebacker, Nick Bolton is not the one that makes the most sense. They need a guy with more coverage ability. They have Anthony Hitchens as their mic. He's locked in. Steve Spagnuolo thinks the world of Anthony Hitchens, regardless of what you think of him. And actually, Hitchens was a lot better this season. His body of work was a lot better this year. I'm just saying, I don't think Nick Bolton makes sense. I would prefer a guy with more coverage ability if you are going to go with a linebacker somewhere early. That is all I am going to say. Tupelo Dan, what position does Legereus Sneed need to play next year? Is he too valuable in his current role to move to outside corner? Absolutely not. I think the best part about Legereus Need is that he's so flexible that if you are sitting in a position in free agency or the draft and you see a guy that fits in that slot role really well, is a Steve Spagnolo type slot corner, Legereus Need can kick to the outside and you're better. If you get to a point where you feel like, hey, we're going to gamble on that outside corner, we're going to invest in outside corner, you get to play Legereus Need in the slot, and you know that makes your team better. 
His flexibility is his best attribute going into this offseason because I think he's going to be good in either situation. So, find the guy that fits. Whatever it is, wherever it is, find that guy that fits. I think the, the logic is it's a little bit easier to find that slot type guy, especially with the way that Steve Spagnuolo uses guys like that, almost like safeties, you know, sometimes like linebackers. Get a bigger slot type guy that can move a little bit more, maybe doesn't have great measurables or great production, and move Legereus need outside. I'd be fine with that. Or, you know, invest in free agency, get a guy that can start on the outside. Up asks, why did we not use Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the passing game until the fourth quarter and only once at that? Like, what do you think their reasoning is? Middle field was open all night, and he could have done some nice angle routes and such. I mean, this is the big question that it's not just it's not just the Super Bowl. It's been the entirety of his rookie year. And frankly, I'm going to try to answer this delicately. Clyde Edwards-Alaire's value as a pass catcher raises his floor in value as a first-round pick. And I, the reason I came to grips with the Chiefs going running back in the first round was because I thought they would utilize him in a lot more different ways in the passing game, and it never took off. You know, I think you did see one game where he got like 50. You know, he had one good game early and then 59 yards against the, against the Miami they have not figured out how to utilize him much. Um, I don't know if I. This is pure speculation, but Dylan McCullough is Dylan McCullough is not here anymore. I don't know if that has anything to do with you know they they're not satisfied with Clyde's development. Please, this is just speculation. I am just thinking out loud. I'm not reporting this. I wonder. Um. So, but but, you know we'll. <sighs> We'll see. This this is a really big offseason for him. This is a really, really big offseason for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, how they can get him involved. Because if they can figure out ways to utilize his skill sets, if he can develop in pass protection and earn the trust of this coaching staff, um, you know, it, then you can maybe utilize him a lot more different ways, ways in the passing game. Andy Reid's going to have a lot of time to figure out how to use him. And I'm hopeful that we can find more value for Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the passing game because that would be massive uh, for this offense moving forward. Brian Lefevre, what pass rushers do you think come back of the unrestricted free agents on this football team? Uh, also, any chances we take a shot at a wide receiver in the free agent market? The only pass rusher that I would want back is Taco Charlton. I hope they do try to bring him back. He was playing relatively well in his role early on for the Chiefs. You hope he continues to show some development. So you bring him back. It can't be very expensive given the way you were able to acquire him and then he's now coming off of an injury and I'm not exactly sure what the Chiefs will do in free agency yet but I will say I am 99.9% sure there will be some kind of shakeup. I said before the Super Bowl if they lost I would expect some level of big addition to come however that might be I don't know if it'll be a high-end wide receiver if it'll be a high-end guard something else but the Chiefs will play in this offseason especially coming off of last year when they didn't really do much so they will be active and I think it's pretty clear at this point in time like I we've talked about it a lot so it doesn't have to be a big thing but the Chiefs are done they have to be done trusting McCole Hardman to be a significant portion of the offense that the offense runs through it just simply doesn't work for sustained periods. It doesn't work in specific situations. It's just not working. 
he has to be a tertiary piece at best to this offense. They are now entering a point where they have no hope to be the number two wide receiver outside of him, and that's not good enough. It's almost like he's a gadget player. Juan E. Gordon, which draft order, meaning the positions, should Kansas City take? Do you think they will take, again, the best available approach for the first round? I mean, I think they've got enough holes that it's going to be a lot more focused than, I, than you know, basically trying to run it back. Just add guys that are going to contribute immediately. If a tackle falls, I think the Chiefs will take offensive tackle. It's a position of need. Interior offensive line is a position of need. Defensive end and wide receiver before free agency are serious positions of need. I think any one of those positions is a good gamble for a first-round guy because things fall off pretty quickly at the edge position and a little bit at offensive tackle if you want a guy that's going to be able to come in and play pretty quickly. So I think I'm going to target offensive tackle or defensive end early, maybe go wide receiver in the mid-round, and then try and catch some interior offensive linemen in there as well. It really is going to depend on what they do in free agency here because if they can address wide receiver or defensive end, which seem to be the most common ones that we've talked about here, I think that frees them up a little bit more to gamble on some offensive linemen and you know the other position that they didn't take. I do think that this team is not going to be able to just go with a best player available approach. Uh, well, actually, hold on. Let me kind of let me kind of add a caveat to that. They might be able to because the positions of need for this football team really actually kind of align with the strengths of this draft class. There are good offensive linemen that will like. There's a very good chance the best player on the board in the KC draft guide. Uh, which is actually available. We just haven't tweeted it out. Which pre-orders are available. We just haven't tweeted it out yet. Uh, check your emails if you ordered in the last two years. Uh, but I do think there's a chance that the best player on the board for, for us will be an offensive lineman uh, because this is a very deep group because teams will be looking for value throughout the draft. So the Chiefs might be able to just bite the apple there at 31, and I'm not even saying it's a bad thing if they do. There are good pockets throughout this draft, I believe, at wide receiver and at offensive line. So you can attack it differently. If you want to wait and just hope to get value in the second round at offensive line, that's something you can do. Uh, and maybe you swing a little bit for an edge in the first round and, and just try to take one of the best guys available. There's a lot of different ways they can approach this. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a really fascinating draft. The Chiefs have really good draft capital. Um, it's a big draft. They need one more like last year's draft than Brett Veach's first two. It needs to continue to build off of the 2020 draft, which still has you know some question marks there too. But um, I think you feel better about what you saw in the 2020 draft than you did in 18. Uh, definitely 18 and, and a little bit of 19. Uh, Maui Oi asks, should the Chiefs draft Travis Kelsey's replacement yet, Maddie? So the issue with the, it's the word replacement that gives me some pause because you're looking at what Travis Kelsey just did this year. Then you go look at his contract and there's no real reason to think that Travis Kelsey won't still be one of the best tight ends in the NFL for it and on the Kansas City Chiefs for at least two more years, maybe three or four. So at that point, if you're drafting a supposed replacement, I mean, you're using their entire rookie contract to be just a backup. That's, that's kind of a weird plan to be the next guy in line. Now, should they consider taking a better tight end too? 
yeah, maybe if that's the route you want to go to give yourself a second possession guy, if instead of investing heavily in a big wide receiver to play the Sammy Watkins role, you want to get a number two tight end that maybe could eventually take over for Travis Kelsey, but I don't think you need to be looking for a guy to only take over for Travis Kelsey. You need a guy that can block in line a little bit. You need a guy that fits well with Kelsey that can get on the field at the same time. So as much as I like somebody like Brevin Jordan out of Miami, I think he's an excellent player. And if the Chiefs take him in the right spot, I obviously wouldn't be mad. But if you take him right now, him and Kelsey on the field at the same time is essentially playing two really large wide receivers. You're not really giving yourself any kind of mismatch. You're drafting a direct one-to-one replacement, not someone to play at the exact same time. I think that's where it gets a little tricky because Kelsey should have multiple years left. He should get through this entire rookie contract for whoever you would take. Scott Sather 3, could the Chiefs ever find a way to add Allen Robinson, or should I just quit hoping? It's possible. And you saw the kind of love Allen Robinson was talking about with with uh, with the Chiefs and, and Mahomes and all that stuff. And now, obviously, it's going to be tough to grab a guy like Allen Robinson, who uh, is a premier talent and is going to want top dollar. Uh, but they Chiefs can actually, there are some things the Chiefs can do, and we'll get there down the line. Uh, about the about the cap space and all that stuff, there are definitely some things this team can do to create enough cap space to maybe even make a run at Allen Robinson. There really is. I mean, it's it's feasible. There's no doubt. Um, but there's there's gonna be a lot. There's gonna be a big market for him. There's gonna be a really big market for him. He's an outstanding wide receiver, and it's interesting. He and he and uh, Sammy Watkins were in that same free agency class that first time around. And the Chiefs wound up grabbing Sammy Watkins. Boy, I wonder what happened. Like, I'm not. This isn't Byers Morris. The Chiefs won a Super Bowl and playoff. Sammy was awesome, but I bet you playoff. I bet you playoff. Allen's pretty good too. Just saying. Andy's Hawaiian. Where do you think the linebacker position ranks in the needs for this offseason? Wilson is a free agent, and Hitchens has a decently big cap pit the next two years. I know we kind of talked a little bit about this. Is there any more context you feel like you need to add, Craig? Sure. Um. I do think that it is a position that needs to be added. I think that that we've definitely hammered hard the whole thing that you've got your two starting nickel linebackers. I, like we've really hit that over the head. That's to say that they don't need to target one in round one or round two or maybe even round three, depending on the guys that are there. Obviously, if Micah Parsons again falls, you take him. But I do think that the Chiefs need to try and find a dime linebacker. I think that they would be well served to find a guy that can maybe play that Sam linebacker role. Those are guys right now that the NFL is not going out of their way to draft ridiculously early. These are day three type guys. The best part about this, this is a really good linebacker class with all things considered. Like I complain Every year that we've done the draft guide, that once we get out of like the top five or six <laughs> dudes, like it is, it's a slog. It's not this year. There's a lot of fun guys. There's going to be a little bit of a, a choice that you can make. Like there's lots of guys that do very specific things well that I think could fit with the Chiefs that will probably be available in day three. I just really. This is really a good draft class for a lot of things that the Chiefs need. I think that it will be a day three target, but I do think that they will add a guy. 
Jackson Redford, with the offensive line and wide receiver class being very deep this draft and the very obvious need for an early offensive line pick, what's the latest you all think we can get a solid wide receiver to, assuming they can play to their draft position potential? The wide receiver position is always kind of difficult to judge in a draft class because after your top you know, couple guys, after your best players, it all becomes so trait-specific. Are you looking for a slot receiver? Are you looking for a deep threat, a possession guy? It all depends on what you're looking for. So for what the Chiefs are looking for, which is going to be more of a possession guy, a guy that can beat press off the line of scrimmage, a guy that can win over the middle of the field. Now, I don't mean they need a six foot five, 230-pound slug. I just mean they need a player that is capable of beating press and operating over the middle of the field on timing routes, dealing with contact, stuff like that. You can definitely push this out to probably the end of day two. So at round three, you can find a guy that can fit that role. Once you kind of jump into the third day, you're usually looking at guys that start as role players that maybe develop over time. Yeah, a guy can drop. You'll be able to pick out examples like Tyree Kill and other guys. But generally speaking, once you get to day three, the ability for instant impact players, even at wide receivers, drops significantly. Uh, where's Tylen Wallace going? That oh. that's the spot. Like, <laughs> no, I like. I really like Tylen Wallace. But anyway, I do too. Get off press. Uh, I don't know if he can get off press. <laughs> I, I mean, but my goodness, you want to put him in a contested catch situation? That man's coming down with the ball. <laughs> Anyway, I feisty. He's feisty. Oh man, I love I love that man. Um, I do think that you can probably catch a wide receiver two at the end of day two at the latest. I I think that's when Pickens are going to start to get a little bit slim. It is a very good wide receiver class again. But if I were the Chiefs, I'd be looking at targeting basically if a top guy falls at thirty two. Maybe you trade at 31. Oh, my goodness. I did it again, Kent. I'm sorry. Uh, no, maybe you trade I, guys, up. we're we're going to be doing it all year. Yeah. I mean, we don't know anything different. <laughs> maybe we of, trade uh, up a little bit. Or maybe you sit at the bottom of 64 there, 63, and you draft. Him <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to roll with it. Oh, I is, think it's karma for the 33 years of last year, to It be might be. Oh, pain. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I don't. Andy, it's Andy's really hard on on rookie wide receivers too. Like that's one of the contexts I think that's pretty important here. Is it's hard for you know rookies to really make a serious impact and be that steady wide receiver too. So like I think the wide receiver two for next year actually might come through free agency if they are looking to address it, and adding a talented player. Like I think that's that's the approach I think, uh, and hoping that 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 guy is ready for the future. Al Haig is the, is edge defensive end, not wide receiver or offensive tackle. The way to go on the first round for, uh, for short and long-term to address the, you know, the long-term part of this, of maybe Frank Clark would be cut in the future. You know, it's possible. I think the Chiefs like him a lot more than you all do. So let's just calm down with thinking that Clark's about to go anywhere. I just think he's a that the team likes him more than, you know, a lot of people do around there. So he's probably going to be here a little bit longer than one more year. But I'm always going to be a proponent for drafting defensive ends early because you do not get game-changing impact players as a pass rusher in round two, in round three, on day three very often. Your favorite day two pass rusher 
is a day two pass rusher for a reason. He usually isn't going to come into the NFL and be a star. That's just one of the positions to where you get some guys that with super athleticism that can develop from day two, but for the most part, your stars go on day one. If that's what you're looking for, yeah, you will need to draft them at 31 and not 63. Yeah, especially since weed isn't a problem anymore in the NFL. Like that, you you were Justin able to catch. Yeah, I mean, you were able to catch dudes in like day two because of potential suspensions that might happen and things. That's what happened like with that. Justin Justin Houston. He got suspended, I believe, uh, or got in trouble with the combine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And the Chiefs were able to collect him in day two. So keep that in mind when we're going forward here. A lot of those maybe problematic things. Basically, injury is the thing that makes him fall at this point unless you're trying to get a project guy but i think a lot of people are hoping that the chiefs are getting a splashy defensive end that can actually come in and play quickly and if you're hoping for that like maddie said you got to take them early you've probably heard us talk about this before i know you have if you listen to the draft stuff you've heard us talk about this before draft athletes at edge that is there's a higher success rate for dense explosive athletes at the edge position you know like Derek Barnett basically the opposite of Derek Barnett be an athlete uh Justice Mosqueda does some great work uh used to do a lot of really good work on force players it's just a density adjusted metric that kind of measures the athletic profile of edge players and kind of determines their success rate big powerful explosive athletes have a higher hit rate at the edge position than guys that had a lot of production in college, Jalen Ferguson. I agree with Matt, especially in this draft. This is a good opportunity. Like we kind of talked about, take an edge, maybe take a swing on an edge, a good athletic profile, a good football player with a really quality explosive athletic profile in the first round. Uh, and then find those pockets at wide receiver and, and offensive line that you feel really comfortable because there's going to be good value on day two at those positions. All right, that is going to do it for the AP Laboratory mailbag. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for kind of helping us there at the top of the show. Love each other. Be kind. We love you. We appreciate you. Catch you later. So, all right, you can cut this out. I was completely not paying attention. Let me read this question. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what Craig said. Just skip me here. Just go, Kent. I don't know what Craig said either here, but I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll just jump in here as well. No, it's okay. Hey, no, guess I got what? this. You know what? I got- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I love you guys. I love you too, man. <laughs> I love you too, Craig. Also, my audio cut out at 36 in... <laughs> 20 Great. 20 seconds. No, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.